Once upon a time, a monk went to visit another monk in the remote Egyptian desert, and he was bearing some sad news. When he arrived at the monk's cell, he said, Have you heard that your father is dead? The monk responded, Stop blaspheming. My father is immortal. Now, as often the case with the sayings of the Desert Fathers, this one can be taken in multiple ways. Here's one interpretation. As all the baptized have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, as we heard in the opening prayer today, we can all say that God is our Father, and therefore our Father is immortal. But there's also another possibility. Perhaps the monk really was speaking about his biological father, And in this case, the immortality of which he speaks is the immortality of all Christians who are given the bread of life to eat, as we hear Jesus say today. The bread that comes down from heaven is such that whoever eats it shall not die. Notice what comes right before this promise of immortality. Jesus says that whoever comes to him, he will raise on the last day. Now, the proximity of these two sayings Uh, that one will not die and yet one will be raised on the last day, proves, I think, that the immortality of which our Lord is speaking is not that of our earthly bodies. It's that which remains when our bodily existence ends, when our body dies. What remains is what tradition calls the soul. And from this we can draw another important conclusion. The bread that comes down from heaven prevents the death of the soul, not the death of the body, though the body will be raised up on the last day as well. This bread will come down from heaven this morning in our midst at the Holy Eucharist. And just as Elijah needed bread to strengthen his body for the journey to meet God at Mount Horeb, we need spiritual bread to strengthen our souls for the journey to meet God in heaven. Identifying our bodily needs is easy enough most of the time. We all know how it feels to be hungry. We usually have a pretty good sense of whether we're healthy or whether there's something wrong with our bodies. In fact, a lot of us in today's world spend a lot of time tending to our bodies by exercising, watching how much we sleep, those sorts of things. But I would just say none of that extra work of exercise and so on profits us if we don't eat, right? So now let's make the analogy. Let's flip it. How much time do we spend tending our souls? Do we pay attention to whether we're basically healthy in our spiritual lives or not? And if simply eating isn't enough for bodies to grow strong, if overall health requires exercise and sleep, What is needed to strengthen our souls when they are fed with the living bread come down from heaven? And the Catholic tradition's answer to this question is that the exercise of the soul is the exercise of virtue. In the ancient world, in fact, there was no distinction between these two kinds of exercise, bodily exercise and exercise of the soul. So, for example, in Homer's epic, the Iliad, the great warrior Ajax is said to have the virtue of just being big and strong. So he's virtuous because he can fight like nobody but Achilles. 
So fighting came easily to Ajax because uh, he worked at it. So when it was time to go out and be a soldier, he was ready to go all the time and he fought well. So from this idea of a bodily skill, which again Homer calls a virtue 2,700 years ago or so, the notion of virtue eventually gravitates over to the spiritual side or the part of the soul, the stewardship we exercise over our souls. So just as, again, Ajax would have had a good appetite, he would have eaten well, and then exercised vigorously, did his uh, practice thrust with his spear and so on, he's always ready to act, comes easily to him. When we receive this great gift of spiritual food in the Eucharist, if we have a determination to grow in holiness, we will want to exercise ourselves in virtue and be always ready to act like a saint, to act in holiness. The fact that we grow in holiness by the exercise of virtue, as well as by the grace of the sacraments, is, uh, as the brothers will recognize, proved by an interesting fact that I like to trot out. Congregation for the Causes of Saints, uh, the group in Rome that's in charge of checking out whether someone is a candidate for sainthood, the first thing they look for is whether the person in his or her life exercised virtue heroically. And not just the theological virtues either, faith, hope, and love, but courage, justice, etc. So there's no holiness where there's no attempt to cultivate temperance, courage, justice, prudence, and of course, faith, hope, and love. Now, I want to be very careful. Oftentimes when we hear talk like this, we think, oh no, one more thing I have to add to my schedule, one more thing I have to do, I have to do virtuous things now besides. Uh, no, you don't need to cram this into your schedule. If we think of, the, say, the little way of St. Therese, what we're doing here is not necessarily changing any of the things that you're doing. Uh, unless they're sinful, then they need to be stopped. But whatever you do, uh, whether it's preparing meals, going to work, cleaning the house, brushing your teeth, we should do it with the right intention. We should do it with the right intensity. We should do it for the right reasons. We should do it well. We should do it with love, as St. Therese would say, with the other requisite virtues. So if it's cleaning the house, uh, if we share the chores with someone else, we want to make sure we do our part of the chores and act generously to help others. That's acting virtuously. The more we do that kind of thing, the easier it becomes. The more generous we, we become, the more we exercise it. And the energy that powers this growth in virtue, again, we receive through the divine life that is strengthened by Christ's nearness to us in the Eucharist. We take a wave today. And let's remember again that no one can come to Christ unless the Father draw him. And here we are. We have drawn near to Christ this morning. You, you, uh, no one was forcing you to come to church today. You decided to respond to God's call freely. Would that more of those with whom we interact every day could feel this attraction that we feel? And just as the world responds to athletes who, like the warrior Ajax, excel in bodily skill, we all love to watch the great athletes play, what would happen if our spiritual excellence were manifest and really compelling to other people? As our Lord taught, others will know us uh, not because we can spout orthodox arguments, rather they will know that we are his disciples by our love.